Welcome to the Burning Rooms Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where we connect with the prayer movement in Canada and beyond, where we have the conversations, share the stories to strengthen your corporate and personal prayer life. My name is Johan, and normally I'd be joined by my most excellent co-host, but one's out of town and one's working right now, so you're stuck with me, but we do have a guest interview on the phone today. But before I introduce her, in, in the previous two episodes, we had some really good, honest conversations about those who work full-time in the marketplace, in the workplace, and yet they give themselves to serving many hours in the prayer movement. So we talked about some of those roles, challenges, the tensions, ways to validate their role in the, in the body, and things that we can do to give them encouragement and strengthen them. So if, we, if you've not listened to those previous two episodes, you should stop and go back and listen to them first. And for those of you that are caught up with us, this is the Burning Rooms Podcast. We are continuing our conversation from the previous two episodes. But before we get into it, make sure that you stick around to the end of the episode when we got a wait, what does that mean segment for you. So the last two weeks, we've had conversations about people of prayer in the marketplace. So after we had that conversation, we actually got quite a bit of feedback from people. There are many people who appreciated the conversation and had a lot of positive things to say. We shared some of our perspectives from our house of prayer and some of the things that we experienced. And it's, it's a very common experience in small houses of prayer, but it's not the only experience out there. Every praying community has strengths and weaknesses. They're all very diverse in their own way. They're very different. The Lord gives them different visions and different mandates. Our job and purpose is not to point out things that we or any other house of prayer are doing wrong. But we really want to encourage and strengthen one another. And maybe there are a few ideas that come up on this podcast that you can translate into your house of prayer to strengthen it even more. Or perhaps you're listening just because you want comrades in the prayer movement, people that are going forward just like you are. So one message we got came in from a full-time staffer at the prayer room in Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas. She had some great insight into their prayer room and what they're doing to immerse the the marketplace people and to what they're doing in the prayer room. And we loved what she had to say. And therefore, we thought she should come join us for an episode. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Caitlin Lutz. Hello, Caitlin. Hello. Hi, good to be here. It's great to have you. And thank you for taking the time to join me today. So before we get into this conversation, tell us a little bit about yourself and your role in the prayer room and the prayer room missions base in Dallas. Yeah, I am on full-time missionary staff at the prayer room. I've been here for about three years. I was previously um, an IHOP U student in Kansas City, graduated in 2016 and moved here shortly after that. Um, So yeah, I'm on full-time staff. I'm on our leadership team. I lead worship like six times a week. Um, do a lot of things in the prayer room. And then my unique role on staff is I lead our schools and our internships. Um, so before we get into questions, I'm curious to know, I've, I've noticed your house of prayer, they tend to run their meetings on the odd hours of the day, which is kind of atypical for a house of prayer. They usually start on even hours, even if they're not going 24-7, they'll start their sets at 6 o'clock or 8 o'clock or 10 o'clock, not usually 5 o'clock in the morning. Uh, is there a reason why you guys do that? I'm just curious. 
There is a reason. I'm really glad you asked. It's actually the story. It's part of our prophetic history of how we got started. So in 2005, God spoke to our director, Brad Stroop. He had been a missionary in Africa. Then God abruptly called him back to the States. And he was frustrated, confused, wanted to be on a mission field. And God spoke to him so clearly one day and said, start a daily prayer meeting tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. And don't stop until I come back. Wow. So we've started from day one with 5 a.m. prayer meetings. We've just built on odd hours ever since. That's intense. I love that. So how many hours do you guys actually do during the day? We do 20 hours a day, 5 a.m. to 11 p.m. Uh, excuse me. That's the old That's the old truth. 20 <laughs> hours a day. We are now 5 a.m. to 1 a.m. We just added those night watch hours. That's incredible. That's awesome. So how much manpower does it take to run that many hours a day? 20 hours a day. Um a lot. What we have is about eight full-time missionaries and then another 20 or so who are on volunteer staff and who, which means they're about 10 hours a week. And then we have close to a hundred, 90 something right now who are on sacred trust, which means they are committed to at least one prayer meeting a week. Probably should explain the sacred trust because I don't think all our listeners are familiar with it. Maybe just give a minute on what a sacred trust actually is. Mm -hmm. That's a term we use, IHOP Kansas City uses, other places uses as well. The sacred trust is just a commitment to be in the prayer room at a certain time every week. Like in our context, in our context, we have people who are there every Wednesday, 5 to 7 p.m., and that is their time. That is their time to be in the room with the Lord, whether or not they're even serving. That's just their time to be in the room and be part of the fragrance and the incense that's happening in the room. So we know every house of prayer, uh, a lot of them use very different models or tweaks on the same model. What kind of model do you guys like to use in your house of prayer? What is that? What does a typical prayer meeting look like for you? We do several different formats of our two-hour prayer meetings. We use the harp and bowl model, which a lot of other houses of prayer use, which is about combining prayer and worship. Um, a lot of our sets are devotional worship, which means it's just one worship leader on stage, and it's pretty much just worship for two hours. We put a little, our tweak to the harp and bowl model is we put a little bit more intercession in that. We do one kind of mini cycle of intercession in the middle of a Devo, and then we do rapid fire at the end. Um, but that's basically most of our sets, but we also have intercession sets. We have a couple worship with the word. So there's several different formats we do to um, different kinds of prayer and worship formats. Awesome. So it's not, not every set has like a full worship team. Sometimes it's just devotional one or two people on stage. Most of it is one or two people on stage. All right. Okay, so in your message that you gave to me off air, you mentioned how you guys have marketplace prayer meetings, kind of like what we do. Yours might look different than ours. So I'm just curious, what does your typical marketplace prayer meeting look like? Um, our typical marketplace prayer meetings, full disclosure, I don't go to them because it's 5 a.m. and my schedule is more evening based. Right. Um, but I was asking some questions to our prayer leader. Our marketplace prayer meeting is something we call a petition format, which is like an intercession set, which in the standard, in, in the perfect world, that would be a full worship team on stage. 
in our world, we have one worship leader and one prayer leader. And with that, we do kind of a scaled down intercession set. We call it petition. So we'll have about 20 minutes of worship. And then the prayer leader will come up, lead some prayer, a few more minutes of worship, more prayer, more worship, more prayer. That's pretty much the flow. There are three topics for those three different prayer times. Um, The first one, we pray for revival in the marketplace, which is pretty broad. Lord send revival. The second cycle, we pray for specific groups in the marketplace that are connected to the prayer room. So specific people we know who run businesses or who have marketplace jobs are praying for groups by name, specific individuals. And then in the third cycle, we're praying for prayer meetings to start in the marketplace and for um, believers in the marketplace to be equipped to see the marketplace as their ministry. So with that, do you guys have like some specific passages that you typically like to pray from when you do that? Because it sounds like there's some pretty specific prayers that are with those three types. Are there some passages that you that you generally like to bring up for the, those marketplace prayer meetings so, so that others listening and even ourselves, like what have you guys grabbed onto that have helped your meetings? We pretty much use the apostolic prayers there. We have a laminated sheet by our prayer podium of 20 or so verses out of scripture that we use for pretty much all of our prayer meetings, prayers that Jesus and the apostles prayed in scripture. So we figure those are already Holy Spirit stamped and they're flexible. We can use them for anything. Um, I asked our prayer leader and she used, she likes to use ones for peace a lot, especially for teachers or different high stress jobs. She'll use some of those verses as well as praying for God to send laborers from Matthew 9, 37. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers or laborers into his harvest field. So we use that a lot too. God send laborers into the marketplace. Yeah, we find that with ours too. We find there's a lot of prayers for strength. And then there's, of course, Ephesians 1.17 is always a favorite. So from what you've gathered, speaking with your colleague, do these marketplace prayer meetings look a little bit different than your other prayer meetings that you do? Like you mentioned off, off air that you corporately would pray for specific people and specific businesses. That's a little bit different than what a typical intercession set would look like in a house of prayer. <laughs> yeah, that is a specific thing we do. Um, that might be the only unique thing we do in that meeting. They're pretty, it's pretty much um, a similar flow to any of our other petition sets. But our specific groups, we pray for entrepreneurs running their own business. We pray for teachers. We have a lot of FedEx workers. There's a guy in our community who has a position at FedEx and he has gotten so many of our people jobs. So that's a category by itself. We pray for 10 or so people in that category. Um, And we also, we pray for people who need jobs um, and we pray for all of those people by name. There's about 30 or so names on the list in these different categories. So these are not random people that you're just thinking of that you want to pray for. These are people and businesses that you guys actually have some connection and relationship with. These are people in our community, community. friends of ours. Yes. Okay. So some of these people are obviously attending. Generally, how how well is that meeting attended? Is it mostly marketplace people? I mean, you have your staff members and those that have to do certain hours, and I'm sure they're included in, in that meeting. But do you get a lot of marketplace people coming? It is not a highly attended meeting because it is 5 a.m. So we have our few faithfuls, um, but with 20 hours a week, a lot of people have their schedules spread out in other places. So oftentimes it is just the worship leader, the prayer leader, the usher, and then Brad, the director, who ever since he got that word from the Lord, he's at every single 5 a.m. prayer meeting. 
Um, those are kind of the four faithful people. And then there will be for sure regular, semi-regular visitors who come around. So one of the issues that we discussed in a previous episode was that there were concerns with titles that many houses of prayer have. You have full-time staff and then you have everyone else. Uh, there are intercessory missionaries like you and myself who are raising their own support to be in the house of prayer full-time. And they are the full-time staff in the marketplace who often serve in similar roles as actually the volunteers do. There's, there's volunteers that come and there'll be worship leaders. They'll be here for many hours, but they're giving themselves to the workplace and the house of prayer. So it takes up a lot of their time. In our house of prayer, we don't even have a title for that. And not to mention, it might not be something every house of prayer needs to have anyway. But you mentioned off air that, that you guys found a way to kind of include them in that. What kind of things have you done to really mesh them in with your larger intercessory missionary community? Well, when you say larger intercessory missionary community, our staff is mostly volunteer staff. Right. We have about eight intercessory missionaries who raise support and then around 20 who are volunteer staff. They're full-time marketplace, full-time college student, full-time stay-at-home mom, whatever they do, but they really believe in the house of prayer. They're part of it. They're in it. They have the vision. They want to be serving and building. Um, and that's most of our staff. So volunteer staff um, serve about 10 hours a week. They serve on two prayer meetings a week. That may be ushering, worship leading, prayer leading, something like that. They also come to our Tuesday evening staff meeting and our Saturday evening encounter service. And then they also each have a unique role of responsibility within the ministry. We give them a specific thing to do that takes about an hour a week, but it's theirs and they own it and we would die without them doing it. Yeah. So there's volunteers that you have that give themselves to hours and hours yes. of service in your prayer room. Uh, you've given them a title. So do you think this title gives them a sense of ownership in your house of prayer and, and maybe even a higher level of commitment that they want to be there because they are part of the staff? It does feel like a lot of ownership. We have staff retreats and ev ev we, all the staff does things together. There isn't really a time that we would expect just our missionary staff to be at an event or to be doing something versus the rest of the volunteer staff. We're just all staffed together. So how does one become a volunteer staff? Do they just come in saying, hey, I, I want to become volunteer staff? Is there a process that you have? Volunteer staff is open to anyone. We do have an application, but anyone around who normally someone on staff recognizes that person is coming around a lot. And they really seem like they're committed to this. They could probably be more involved if someone invited them. So we'll kind of have those conversations one-on-one -on -one and invite people to join volunteer staff. Some of them come through an internship and decide to join staff. And some of them are just around. So what are some of the distinctions then from volunteer staff to full-time staff? What's the requirement for each? The major difference is volunteer staff doesn't raise support. The missionary staff do full-time staff do 45 hours a week, whereas volunteer staff just does 10. So there are certain policies in place for full-time staff related to time off and how many hours you spend doing this or this, kind of like any standard place of employment, you track those kinds of things. So we don't have those same expectations of volunteer staff, but a lot of it is very similar. It's just a 
level of hours of commitment. Do you have some volunteer staff that are starting out as volunteer staff, but actually have a desire to go full-time? And that's kind of like the first stepping stone. We have a few of those, yes. Um, There was one guy, I love this story, has been around the prayer room since the early days, since it started as a 5 a.m. living room prayer meeting. He showed up during that era. He was part of volunteer staff for a decade. With a desire in his heart, God had promised him that he would one day be missionary staff, but the timing wasn't yet. So he was just waiting on the Lord for a decade, serving as a public school teacher, fully committed to the house of prayer, doing it as a fully bought in volunteer staff until just about two years ago, God released him and shifted the season to join missionary staff. So for him, it was a stepping stone. There's a couple other people who are in similar positions right now, but many people just they, their desire is to just stay on volunteer staff. Have you got any feedback from those going to the workplace that are also volunteer staff about how being in the prayer room affects their, their workplace job, their, their full-time job in the marketplace? Yeah, actually, there's one guy, we have his testimony posted on our wall downstairs, owns his own business. And he has been faithfully in prayer meetings as a volunteer staff member for probably around a decade, years and years and years. Um, And he says that it's just so strengthened his relationship with God and really increased his sensitivity to the prophetic even. I think someone mentioned that on your podcast a few weeks ago, just spending time with the Lord in the prayer room just increases their ability to talk to the Lord even just throughout their week in their job. So it's really valuable for a lot of people. So also in one of those other conversations, people that come to a marketplace prayer meeting that are working full time, they find that prayer meeting is very valuable for them, that they feel validated in that way. Uh, Has that served the same purpose for you guys? If you understood the question, it's a little bit, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like people feel validated in different ways and we want to make them feel valued for what they do um in 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 specifically our community because that's that's my reference point right now uh do you think it'd be more valuable to be able to bring them in and call them part-time staff um do you think that that i don't know what i'm trying to say maybe i'll just skip that Well, I think a lot of people do feel very valued and honored, even just knowing that we're praying for them. Like I mentioned, we, it's generally just a few people in the room, but they know that their name is on that list and we are praying for them every week. So I think there's a lot of strength from just knowing that. Um, I think it does a lot in our hearts as well as those who are in the room, um, which that's at least Brad and maybe a few others who are on staff. Um I think there can be sometimes some pride or elitism in in feeling like, oh, I'm a missionary and I'm doing the thing that God is doing its generation. But when we put our focus into praying for those for whom that's not the case, it can kind of shift the perspective and we really start to value them more. So even just us praying for them and knowing that we're praying for them, I think is an important component of just us honoring them in our hearts in general, in our interactions with them. Another discussion we talked about in the last episode was the perception that full-time staff naturally find more community with each other because they're in so many meetings together. Uh, In your case, you got volunteer staff, so you're also doing things with them. But do you have any similar experiences in your prayer room where 
where some f- people feel like they're not getting enough community. I mean, I think this is probably common in a lot of houses of prayer, just challenges in building a culture of community. So what kind of things have you guys done to build that kind of culture of community? The Lord has really given us a strong grace for community. It's one of our strengths. Like I will say that proudly and boldly. It's something we do really, really well. From day one, we knew that in order to sustain this, we needed to be friends. We needed to like each other. We needed to spend a lot of time together. So we have times that all the staff is together, staff meeting. We go on a yearly retreat together where we just play games and eat food and do a little bit of vision casting, but it's mostly games and food and hanging out. So a lot of the staff really does spend a lot of time together. I'm struggling to think of times that there would be just missionary staff. Senior staff meeting is the only time I can think of where the room is just missionary staff, other than maybe a handful of prayer meetings where it just happens that way. But our staff in our even broader community, those who are on sacred trust, who are around a lot and kind of want to be involved, we do game nights and movie nights and spontaneous, let's all go to my house and play games after encounter service. We do that kind of thing a lot. And I, it really has strengthened us. So that's very much a grace that the Lord has given us. That's awesome. So earlier we explained the sacred trust, and, and you keep mentioning the sacred trust. This feels like an important thing to you guys. How does that translate even to your volunteer staff? They responded well? Do they rise up to the challenge? Oh, yeah. The sacred trust is the foundation of everything we do. We have about 100 who are on sacred trust, and that includes all of the volunteer staff and missionary staff. But everyone, our foundation is the prayer room. Whatever else you do administratively, the spreadsheets, the planning, the taking out the trash, all of that is on the side. All of us are here for the sacred trust, to put it in those terms. We are all here to keep the fire of prayer and worship on the altar, to minister before the Lord. That is the foundation of everything we're doing. Just because you you have a sacred trust, it doesn't make you volunteer staff because you said there's a there's about 100 and people on the sacred trust. So the volunteer staff, would you, is it accurate to say that uh, your house of prayer, the prayer room is their primary church expression or do they have other church expressions that they go to on a Sunday morning? I mean, for houses of prayer like ours, um, for many of us, the house of prayer is our primary church expression. It's where we tithe, it's where we get our pastoral needs met, and it's where we, where, where we have our community. At the same time, we get many of the people from other churches that come and get involved in teams and they come pray and just be part of what we're doing. So what does that look like for you guys? That's a good question. We are not a local church and we don't try to be. Um, We have Saturday night services and we pretty much only talk about prayer and the end times. We don't talk about other things that a church should be talking about. We don't have small groups. We don't have children's ministry. We really encourage everyone to be part of a separate local church. And what that has done for us is we can kind of be a neutral place within the city. So we have people who are around the prayer room, whether they're committed or whether they're just a frequent visitor, from probably well over 100 local churches in the area. And we encourage them, go to your local church, tithe to your local church. That's your church home. We are here to serve the city as a whole. It sounds like that's been a key for you guys to be able to maintain that many hours of prayer a day is to really get the whole church involved by kind of being neutral and saying, hey, we're not involved in this denomination. 
I mean, I, I know many other house of prayer that do it differently, including ours, and it still works. So it's just amazing how it feels like we have the same DNA, essentially, but we, we just run things differently, and it, and it works for us wherever the Lord has us in our various regions. Exactly. And like even IHOP does it a little bit different. Uh, they got their prayer room, but they also have their Forerunner Christian Fellowship that they have in the morning. But those involved, some of them go to other churches, and some of them go to their Sunday morning service. But this model seems to have worked for you guys the way you're doing it. It's worked really well for us. Yeah. And there have been people who've told us, don't do this. This isn't going to be helpful for you long term. And the funny thing is, God has just blessed it. And we've been able to serve the capital C church of the city in a way that we probably couldn't have if we did go the route of becoming a local church. Do you have any advice yourself on how to build community, to bridge the gap between the marketplace and and those that are in the house of prayer full time, what what kind of advice would you give to the listeners that are saying, okay, what is a practical thing that I can do to strengthen our house of prayer with people sitting in the various roles and the various commitments? This is a very house of prayer answer, but just pray for each other. First and foremost, I get so blessed when people in the marketplace are praying for me, for us as intercessory missionaries. And I mentioned earlier, just praying for them really grows our heart toward missionary staff. And that's something I've learned through the years of the Lord. Your heart grows toward what you pray for. Absolutely. So just by praying for each other, I think is a huge component. And then finding those times to hang out and be community unrelated to what your prayer room schedule is. Sometimes we have game nights with people who aren't even necessarily part of volunteer staff or maybe are a frequent visitor but aren't on sacred trust in this season. I think there's just a lot to be gained from intentionally being community with as many people as we can. A little bit of an offbeat question. When you have a visitor come in, how do you make that visitor go from a visitor to someone that becomes more involved? Great question. We are super intentional with our visitors. We have ushers. Um, Every single prayer meeting has an usher on it. And that usher's primary responsibility is to welcome and interact with visitors. So whenever a visitor comes in, the usher is immediately going to strike up a conversation, ask them how they heard about us, give them one or two nuggets of what to expect in the prayer room if they're not familiar with it. Um, And then over time, we're going to invite them to join Sacred Trust. Maybe eventually we'll invite them to join volunteer staff or to do an internship or to get involved. But even from day one, we're going to invite everyone who comes to join the Sacred Trust. We're a little bit aggressive about it because we figure no one's going to say yes the first time, most likely. But if they hear about it from four or five different people over a period of weeks, eventually a bunch of those people, or more than would otherwise, will join the Sacred Trust. So we're very intentional about it. So you guys run some internships as well. We do. That is the part of the ministry that I personally am over. So right now, we are actually doing a fire in the night internship, which is based around our new night watch hours, 9 p.m. to 1 a.m., These interns are in classes talking about end times, intimacy with God, how to have a life of prayer. And then they're also in the prayer room for six prayer meetings a week. So we have that internship. We have another one called Immerse, which is very similar, except it's more daytime based. We have a school of supernatural ministry. We have a music school. We only run one of these at a time. These are all 
fairly substantial program. So thus far, we've only done one program at a time, but we have a lot of avenues for people to get trained in a lot of different things. And our sneaky goal is we want people to sign up for schools so that we can require them to be in the prayer room. They do their three months program and then they stick around, stay on sacred trust. Some of them join volunteer staff. Eventually, maybe some of them even join missionary staff. We have a little bit of time left. Uh, Do you have any last encouragement for those that are in the marketplace that you would like to share? There is a cool story I want to share about one of our staff people. One of our community members, Luke Cooper, he was on missionary staff for a number of years, really had a vision. It was totally his calling. Um, and then the Lord transitioned him to the marketplace. And he was mad. It, he, that was his prayer request all the time. Lord, get me out of here. He was actually working at FedEx, one of those many people I mentioned. And he did not like it at all. And over a couple of years, he really started finding the Lord in his marketplace assignment, driving trucks for FedEx, making deliveries. He says he prays like more now than he did as an intercessory missionary because he just prays in tongues all day, every day while he drives his FedEx truck. And it's funny, he'll give advice to people sometimes, don't become an intercessory missionary, <laughs> just drive trucks and pray all the time. It's so good. So he, his heart is so tender right now. I don't know if the Lord will ever transition him back to intercessory missionary staff, but he's He's thriving in the marketplace. And I really, I really respect him for the way he's navigated that whole transition and really found the Lord in the midst of that. That's a fantastic story. And I believe there are opportunities, no matter what area you're working in, for you to connect with the Lord in in your workplace, in your marketplace. The Lord wants to have communion with all of us, no matter what we're doing. And I, I believe that he wants to make a way for us to do that. So, This has been a very encouraging conversation. Thank you so much. So before I let you go, can you let our audience know where they can find some more information about you and your ministry at The Prayer Room DFW? Yes. TheprayerRoomDFW.com is our website. We have a ton of resources on there, teaching series from Brad Stroop through the years, including a whole bunch that are specifically for House of Prayer leaders and those interested in how we do volunteer staff and how we do some of the things I mentioned or some of the principles of running a house of prayer. So those are incredible resources on how to build and strengthen a house of prayer, even from the ground up. We started in a living room and we took notes the whole way. So there's so much wisdom. I highly recommend that, especially for house of prayer leaders. And then me personally, I write a blog called Fragrance Arise based on the Julie Meyer song, Alabaster Box, if you know that one. Great blog. <laughs> Fragrance Arise. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. And the website is fragrancearise.com. And I blog about the prayer movement and tell some stories and testimonies from our house of prayer, um, as well as just really try to connect with other places. So I do a feature called House of Prayer Spotlight, which I actually featured Sanctuary House of Prayer a few months ago. That was really fun. Um, and so it, <laughs> it was great. Yeah. The vision of the blog is just to be a strength to the prayer movement, not even necessarily houses of prayer, but those who God is calling to anchor their lives in the place of prayer, whether that's in a prayer room or their own prayer closet. That's awesome because it sounds almost like the vision of this whole podcast. So it's great to have you on as a guest with someone kind of with the same heart that we have. So 
I've noticed that. I love listening to your podcast. I feel like it is the podcast version of my blog. <laughs> I've been listening to it since episode <laughs> one. I love it. Well, we'd love to have you on again sometime. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. If you want to get information on Caitlin and the Ministry of the Prayer Room, uh, there will be links in our show notes. So you can click on those and you can send Caitlin money as an intercessory missionary and all that sort of thing. Uh, they got some great resources on that website. Also, feel free to visit our website at burningrooms.ca. Again, you can ask us about a book club we're thinking about doing, but we need some feedback. And yeah, just send your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. So even though my co-hosts are not with me today, we still wanted to have a segment. So we recorded it at a different time and location. So here we go. Wait, what does that mean? And today's word is antiphonal. So Brian, if you were new coming into the house of prayer, what might you think the word antiphonal means when you walk into a prayer room? Well, one of the things I've noticed in the prayer room a lot is that people are always on their smartphones, and I personally am against it. I want to see them engaged with the Lord. And so that mindset of being antiphonal, it means like I am, I'm against the phones. I'm against phones being used all the time. And so I'm antiphonal in my orientation. So in if the you prayer slow room. it down, it's really antiphonal, <laughs> right? Antiphonal. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So that's what antiphonal doesn't mean. What does antiphonal really mean? Jehu, you're a pretty uh, technical guy. What, what does the dictionary definition of antiphonal mean? Well, it's an adjective, and according to the dictionary, it means to sing, recite, or play music alternately by two different groups. So there's this idea that you're singing, you're playing between two different groups of people. So it's responsive. You could think of it as responsive, responding, conversational. It's a type of musical style that doesn't have one person singing. So, Johan, what does antiphonal singing look like in the prayer room? So, when you walk into a prayer room and someone says, okay, let's do some antiphonal singing, not that they would necessarily say that when you walk into a prayer room, because that would be kind of intimidating and weird. But in the prayer room, antiphonal singing is basically... It's responsive singing. So you, usually there's three singers on stage. Sometimes there's less, sometimes there's more. And there's a prayer leader. The prayer leader is often reading a scripture if it's a worship of the word, or they are praying a prayer if it's an intercession set. When they pray or when they read the word, there's then antiphonal singing that goes along with that, which is responsive singing. So those on stage will respond to what the prayer leader has just said. And then everybody in the room can join in when they find a chorus antiphonally. So we're responding to the prayer, responding to what the prayer leader is saying. Antiphonal singing. Antiphonal. And that has been another... Wait, what does that mean? Thank you for joining us. And until next time, my name is Johan, and this has been the Burning Rooms Podcast. <laughs>